0: Hello and welcome to The Artist Contemporary Podcast. The podcast that champions contemporary artists, curators and galleries. Listen each week to hear me, Anna Woodward, speak to a different person about their experiences, their practice and what they're currently up to within the contemporary arts. Hello and welcome to The Artist Contemporary Podcast. This week I'm joined by Kim Booker, and we are in her absolutely amazing studio at ASC in Croydon. So Kim is in the same studio complex as me and her studio backs onto a garden, has amazing light. And Kim and I know each other from City and Guilds and she graduated the year above me. So Kim, how would you describe your practice?
1: Hello, um, thank you for having me. Um, so. I usually describe myself um, as a painter rather than an artist because I'm really only concerned with paint and what I can do with it. It's, it's kind of a weird distinction to make, but um, it feels important to me to, to make that distinction. And then in terms of what my work is like, um, my paintings are usually quite large scale and they're formed of areas of color and gestural abstraction. And then there's always a drawn element, which is usually figurative. Um, I like line and outlines, and I don't really like detail or um, fussy painting. Um, a lot of my uh, imagery comes from art history, and I think um, that's as a way of kind of reclaiming it and representing it through my own lens. Um, I didn't grow up with any real access to art, so uh, in some ways I feel quite alienated from it, and so one element of my work is about carving out an identity for myself. Um, within the history of painting, um, and there's also a, a lot of sort of self-portraiture and autobiography in my work, which you wouldn't necessarily know.
0: I never knew that that, <laughs> that it was autobiographical. Do you think now, because limited access as a child to art history and art means that you're just like so excited to explore and find and?
1: Yeah, I, I think I I feel quite conf- conflicted about it. On the one hand, I kind of had this sort of reverence for the history of history of art and particularly painting but then it's i also kind of recognize it the kind of elitism and also the very male nature of yeah. art history so um yeah so those are kind of things i'm thinking about quite a lot when
0: i'm when i'm making paintings mm. and then what is your process in making a painting Is uh, with a drawing um usually
1: a figure or a part of a figure a sort of have a lot of books in the studio and a lot of different references and I'll kind of find something that, that I'm interested in, or interested in or that's kind of um, resonating with me at that time and then I'll, I'll draw it on um, and then that drawing will like, lead to the next thing um, and usually I won't like the drawing and I'll kind of scrub it out <laughs> and so then that will, that will begin the painting um, and then the other way I start is um, with um, colour or gesture, just putting paint down instinctively um, so that I've got something to work against. And then I kind of sit back and look at that until I kind of, an image will come or some, I'll decide that I want to put some kind of drawing there and then I'll go from there and just sort of respond uh, intuitively to the marks that I've made. Um, and until so there's a painting there in there or it, there's either a painting or the painting is lost. Um, and if it's lost, then I, I let it dry uh, white out the whole thing start again because mm,
0: I guess because I come to your studio quite a lot <laughs> most days your work's always changing like you can come in one day and you'll see a painting and then the next day it'll be completely different
1: but yeah. it's very much
0: like building up the layers and the processes
1: yeah exactly like sometimes they'll I think that's something that I'm kind of I'm looking for. Is, I don't know. Sometimes I'll pa- I'll, I'll paint something and it, it will be good. They'll be fresh and the color the color will be working. But maybe it's like the first layer and it just will won't be. They won't have the weight that I'm looking for. So you know, it has to it has to go. Yeah. And then yeah.
0: Do it. you ever, after adding a layer, regret putting it on? Or do you yeah. think it's all down yeah, to, yeah, like all the, time. Yeah. the development?
1: Um, yeah, you no, know, that happens a lot. I'll just be like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> um, and then because my works are kind of all over, um, I can't really tinker with one, one area and fix it. So if I do something that isn't working, then I have to sacrifice the whole painting and kind of start again. Yeah, It's, it's quite a frustrating process. But...
0: Have you always made paintings in that way, through building up the layers and working over?
1: I kind of came to realize that that is just the way I work because things just go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I kind of embrace that now, um, that c- because I don't plan and I don't want to work from a drawing or, a, or some kind of pre preordained structure that I have to, to follow because it's, it's, more, it's more about following the paint and what the paint wants to do. So I kind of realized that, yeah, my work, comes and is made almost out of out of mistakes and out of chance and mm-hmm. then and then a lot of kind of thinking and reasoning as well but that doesn't take place when when I'm painting I'll kind of I'll paint and then I'll then I'll wait and then I'll look and
0: I'll reflect and then I'll paint again yeah do you know do you find it comes quite clearly when you know the painting's finished
1: yes uh, sometimes I'll, I've got stuff to a certain stage and then it just sits it sits for ages, like that green mm. grid I've got over there has been there for about two months. Does
0: that have anything over the top at the moment? Nothing. <laughs> the <laughs> the green.
1: Um, I was going to make a, a another version of the painting that I have in the after hour show, but then yeah. I, I just because that painting's already been done, I, I, I don't want to do that again, so I'm wait I'm just sort of waiting for something to reveal itself that wants to go on there. And then when that happens I will then act kind of really quickly. It'll be like a frenzy of like, okay, mixing this colour.
0: It's time to grow. And
1: then, then sort of being like, okay, does that, does that work? What does it need next?
0: Yeah. Do you find that's quite often what happens? You'll have the painting to a certain point and then you have to leave it for a time before you know what the next stage is.
1: Yeah, partly because of working with oils. Um, if I want, if I've done something like that white painting there, had, yeah. I'd kind of had this dark red all around the top um mm-hmm. and I thought that that was finished when I left the studio that evening and then I came the next day and I and I just thought no um that's got to go so then it has to kind of wait a few days yeah like, however long to dry and then yeah then
0: it, then it got whited out
1: mm. that's one of my white-ed. favorite paintings
0: <laughs> I'll put it on the asking <laughs> so I think it's got the the figuration of the large scale green and white one in after hours yeah it's a similar it came from a similar reference imagery yeah yeah the color palette is so different and maybe i don't know maybe it's because there's less that one's more kind of high contrast between the flesh colors and the green Mm -hmm. whereas this is more kind of the pinky white tones and then maybe the blackness with the figure coming out of it yeah,
1: it's a lot more in- integrate. There's a lot more sort of back and forth on that one with drawing and then painting it out and redrawing and painting it out and redrawing. So,
0: mm. yeah. Yeah. And then what are the biggest influences on your practice?
1: Um, So I think the biggest influence is is just pa- is painting and paint because um, I'm sort of endlessly sort of interested and surprised by what paint can do and just how a painting kind of comes into being and how you can... I can never really replicate anything that I've done before um, so as I was kind of saying before if I go if I try to take a painting further or deeper or something and I and I lose it then you know it's it's gone forever and then there's also the relationship between um, like what's in my mind and my intentions for a work and then the reality of the process of making in the studio so the final painting kind of bears no resemblance usually to the way the way it started yeah
0: and then, what paintings do you have in after hours? Obviously, we spoke a little bit just now about, but you have three.
1: Uh, yeah, three yeah. paintings. So yeah, the one we already um spoke about is this really large work, which is um over two meters tall, called Three Lovers. <clears throat> and I had this this idea that I wanted to make this green grid painting, um, and so I kind of started with the grid as something that I that I wanted to do, and then. The drawing went through you know, quite a few iterations. Um, originally I it had a, like, a really large figure in the centre, um, but then that, I didn't think that was working. And yeah, then it ended up being this kind of tangle of limbs um, that referenced this um, painting by um, Theodore Gerico from 1818. Um, then there's a smaller kind of green grid painting, um, which has a reclining male nude and some feet which are women's feet. Even the women's feet have been sort of scrubbed out so mm. it's kind of people can kind of make up their own mind about what, what that was about. Um, and then the, the other painting is um, called Pain and Pleasure. Um, I made three versions of that painting and the other two are in Paris at the moment and they're going into a show with Gallery Dutco. Um, and that's of kind of two reclining figures but they're kind of um, upended so one's the right way up and one's kind of upside down. Um, and they kind of yeah, they can either be seen as in the throes of pleasure or actually yeah. excruciating pain. <laughs> um and I painted those paintings um after the lockdown. I think I was feeling quite conflicted about the world and yeah. how things were going and also but just, you know, content in myself and in my painting, but not so content with the world. So that kind of came from there. And the composition came from um I was making these really tiny strange little paintings during the lockdown at home mm. um, of these kind of upside down figures and right to the edge of the canvas and they were kind of talking to each other across the void in the middle and so I took that into, into the painting.
0: Yeah do you find when you're making your work does it have do you know which way it's going to sit or do you kind of get to the end of the painting and then it put it up? And then you're like this way. So do you ever flip them? I f-
1: yeah, I flip them when I'm making them. And yeah. actually those ones, the uh, the Pain and Pleasure and the, the little ones I made in the lockdown, I actually made those because I, w- I was kind of also experimenting with this idea of having being able to put a painting multiple ways yeah. on, on the wall. So yeah, that was intentional with those ones.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think also with, I'm so bad at remembering names, but the smaller green one, mm-hmm. which is in, so it's your other two. Or when you first come into after hours up the escalator with it's behind the big ones behind Chris Corkwell's balls, which are really interesting. I really like the dynamic between your paintings and his installation because his work's obviously very pristine and all about the idea of like marketing, advertising and Nike, and then you have this massive, big, semi-abstract, figurative painting behind it. And I really like the influx of colour that it brings to the space. And then where your smaller green uh, green work is, it's op- your work and Marcus Nelson's paintings are facing mm-hmm. each other. And then you've got Man on Stay Arts, um, Silicon, um, oh, what's the word? Installation. Actually, all three <laughs> being on the podcast. Um, and it's this really nice relationship because obviously you've got the pinks in yours and the pinks in Marcus, which mm-hmm. are working together. And then you've got in manon's silicon it's on this white structure and then it's green and yellows kind of seeping down and i really like the three works together Mm -hmm. they've all got their own space to breathe but i find they're all kind of responding to each other through color and figuration i really like that
1: yeah no definitely i think you great job and curating that show i think all the work works really well and I, i loved those um chris's um past basketball so yeah they were one of my favorite
0: yeah they're so good i mean that leads on quite well so what is your favorite work in after hours from another artist (laughs)
1: um so obviously i like those balls by chris but um i was actually going to talk all the work in the show it's really strong but um i I quite i'm quite a fan of uh, alicia cox's fat sculpture yeah um it's this kind of massive flesh colored material suspended from the ceiling and then it's filled with flour um and i just quite like the way it's kind of really bodily but it's also really abstract at the same time, and she says that you're not that I have, but she says you're allowed to touch it as well. Yeah,
0: it's is. so great. I'm excited
1: to do it if we can um go to the show at any point.
0: I mean, well, hopefully after they're saying lockdown, that technically galleries are shops, so oh. they should be able to. O- we should be able to open under those restrictions, which so. would be good. But yeah. I actually did a live with Alicia the other week as a part of the after hours virtual events and it was so great to talk to her about her practice and her whole idea of being like a kind of growing up in like social media age and the idea of body representation and how one should aspire to look and she was talking about she had this experience i think as like a 17 year old maybe that she was at the mm-hmm. beach in like a swimsuit and her friend turned around to her and was like i'm really proud of you and she was like why are you proud of me is it because my body is it because mm-hmm. I'm wearing it? Like, why do you have this perception that I should be proud of my body when and she's just kind of using her work in making these quite abstract installation interactive works to talk about body image? But I think she does it in a really kind of way that it's not super in your face mm-hmm. and it becomes so much about touching and engaging with the work and the big hanging piece she was saying that she wants like she has a tiny, tiny gap between the piece and the floor and it's the whole it's to represent the idea of how society like sifts out people who don't suit mm. fit a certain image. Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting she's twenty one making work about these topics and really engaging in this conversation. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think
0: the society throughout time well people are obsessed with the body, like people is kind of like the base of like sexual attraction of how people first judge people and I think especially now like also Alicia's work it does look really good on social media and transcribes into that language and is so visual and then obviously she's talking about these topics of the body and social media doesn't really encourage people's mm. perception of the body yeah. I think yeah, it's going to be super exciting to see what she does with her work I think she's really super super talented as are so many of the artists in After Hours, as I'm massively biased. But, so what do you think is the biggest thing you've learned about the art world since leaving the wonderful bubble of City and Guilds? <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, shout out City and Guilds. Yeah. Great, great
1: school. <laughs> um, a few things, really. I think on a personal level, the most important thing I've learned is um, to relax and just make the work that I um, want to make and not be um, influenced by other people's kind of commercial agendas or expectations of the paintings um, and sort of accept that not everyone is going to like every painting or maybe any of the paintings and that's fine um, and you, have to, you kind of have to toughen up to rejection because yeah. that happens. Um, uh, yeah, And a couple of other things, I, I guess I've learned that sort of opportunities will come um if you're sort of consistently working hard and and people kind of do take note of that although you obviously have to put some effort into kind of getting yourself out there yeah so I think I think my Instagram game could be better but um I'm quite resistant to being kind of overly branded and kind of taking
0: definitely I think there's a massive balance between it I think I speak <laughs> quite a lot about it, the idea mm-hmm. of the balance between like your art should always be important and instagram isn't in everything and yeah. it's an amazing marketing tool and can be your way into exhibitions and opportunities but your practice always has to be the most important and not making work for instagram
1: yeah absolutely and then the other thing is i think i'm not sure how what i thought the art world would kind of would be like but um it's I don't know i found it very kind of encouraging actually and quite supportive and there are so many people there out there kind of telling you that they like what you're doing and kind of watching you develop um and also like making space for your work to be shown and um for people to learn about you like you are with the artist contemporary and um so yeah there's just a lot of energy being kind of put in to sort of pulling everyone up i think and when people kind of Move up, they
0: try and pull people up with them, and I think that's just really, that's a really nice thing. Yeah, I think at all levels, I think especially now, like with the positives of social media, like one of the reasons I started the Arts Contemporary was obviously I have very little influence <laughs> in the art, but I was just like, if I can share artists' work and try and help promote artists in any small way that I can, mm-hmm. it like, and I enjoy doing it. And I think obviously people going up, like Marks Nelson was talking about. Ollie at with Plop residency and stuff and Ollie's obviously doing amazingly well, but he's still offering this residency to emerging artists and supporting.
1: Yeah, no, I I actually did the Plop residency um, in the summer and yeah, Ollie's just yeah, he's incredibly generous with his time and everything. So yeah, he's doing a lot of good
0: work. Yeah, and I think also this summer seeing so Stacey from Unit One, she's been doing the whole series of um, lockdown talks it's been really great listening to them especially she was talking to Roslyn was it Roslyn Davis I think Roslyn Davis the other day in Hector Campbell and they're talking about the kind of final not over series which I took part in mm-hmm. this idea of I think this year it's been really great that lots of galleries and people in the art world have reached out to graduates who've missed out and it's yeah, kind of yeah. it's slowly encouraging that more kind of supportive ethos and environment which maybe some people weren't aware of yeah and also
1: I think it encouraged more people to sort of start things like the way you did as well because you kind of missed out on the big degree show which is kind of the whole point of all all of art school is kind of aimed at this show at the end when you kind of explode onto the scene and that must be really difficult if people missed out on that this year. I
0: think also because your degree show at Sitting Guild your year group was so great and it was kind of I think when you're in second year and you see the year above yeah. show, you're like, this is me next year. This is what I'm going to do. This is great. And then we obviously didn't have that. And then we now, su- my year's really lucky that we're having a show at the Oxo Tower um, barge house with sitting guilds. But it's still, it's not the same. No, but it's not the degree she yeah. envision and maybe it sounds quite spoiled saying it because we're, <laughs> we're having a show, and we're really really lucky. But it still was that thing I think everyone works towards, yeah. No, and it's exactly. not how you envision, but I mean, sitting girls are super supportive and so great for actually going out and funding, yeah, this yeah. exhibition for I'm everyone. that show
1: when
0: it happens, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully in spring twenty twenty one, if there's not another lockdown, let's hope. Um, so, obviously, you've been to lots and lots of exhibitions. Which one do you think has most influenced your practice? It's quite a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I wouldn't know the answer, for me.
1: So, I'd probably say... So, one of my um, favourite painters is um, Roy Oxlade, who um, was a British painter who... I died, I think, in 2014. Um, he's um, Rose Wiley's husband. Um, and I've been to a few shows of his work... A um, couple of Alison Jack Gallery in London, and then also the show at um, Hastings Contemporary, um, and yeah, I just I think I feel like I'm kind of aligned in terms of my ideas about um, painting um, with his. Um, he also wrote quite a lot um, of essays and things about his kind of ideas on drawing and things like that. So you know, he kind of he he didn't really he wasn't really a fan of kind of realism um, or you know. Rembrandt, uh, in particular, he singled out as being quite drab um, realist, um, and he kind of he had this principle of kind of achieving like a likeness through an unlikeness, and it's kind of like through intu- intuitive drawing, um, we can reveal something deeper about the object or about um, the figure than than can be achieved through kind of slavish copies or realism things like that, and so those kinds of ideas have always um, been quite influential in my work and. Also I think you know the way he builds paintings through kind of erasure and redrawing um gives his work this kind of um vitality in terms of like the paint but also the objects that he depicts in his work and every work that he makes kind of feels to me kind of like a reinvention um
0: yeah so yeah. amazing <laughs> um and then how important is oil paint to your paintings <laughs> um,
1: as a medium so oil paint for me, I find it because I'm quite a bodily kind of in its in its, as a substance kind of in its consistency, which obviously suits my work because I am painting bodies. Um, it's got this kind of creaminess that you don't really get with acrylic. Um, acrylics mm. kind of when it's thicker, it's kind of more plasticky, and when it's um it's quite watery when you thin it thin it down. Um, I find it I don't know oil holds holds itself um better, but I do sometimes work with acrylic and. Um I've a, I've made a couple of what I thought was successful paintings in acrylic, but um it's quite rare that I manage to sort of pull off this depth of surface that I'm looking for. Um it's probably like the weightiness I think of, of oil paint in the way it sits on the canvas, um even after you've thinned it that that kind of that I'm interested in mm-hmm. and that just seems to work for me. Um and yeah, I've been painting for, for quite a while now, so I've kind of built up this knowledge of um, all the different brands of oil paints yeah. which colours I like and, and how the how the kind of consistency varies between the brands and I mostly use um, Michael Harding paints but then there are some some paints even in, in the really cheap paints that you just, you can't that aren't replicated in the more expensive brands yeah. so there are a couple of, a few colours in the sort of Georgian series and the Winton series like the emerald green and the violet grey that I always, I go to um, just because, yeah, the they're just great colours so yeah I think the longer you work with it there's just endless um things to try and endless discoveries to make with oil paint so yeah
0: definitely have you always when you were at sitting else did you always work in oil
1: um no I worked in acrylic for quite a while on mm. um primed canvas and I've got a couple of those paintings I used to work here yeah, on the floor and sort of trample on the work, trample on the paintings when I was making them and sort of stick bits together and things, but um, yeah, I haven't really worked that way for for a while now.
0: Mm. Do you think that, obviously with oils, you have to wait for them to dry and especially I guess with your work because it is so layered and it would become incredibly murky Mm. and definition lost, do you think that time that makes you slow down and wait develops the paintings further and gives you time to think and
1: I, it it does
0: but i tend to just
1: start something else when something yeah there's kind of four or five in here at the moment that i'm working on um so there's always something something going on but yeah i think definitely like yeah it, it stops you from sort of from rushing
0: yeah um, which i think is good mm. and do you find when you're working i mean with Saturn in the studio at the moment all the paintings are so different <laughs> in a different series of layers and what point they're at do you ever find that the paintings when you're making on making multiple ones at once that they start interacting and responding to each other or are they all quite separate
1: yeah i know they do so yeah if i'll do something a color mainly with color i think or yeah color and image actually yeah there'll be some if i if something's sitting and then i think yeah I, I won't always make the connection between why i'm putting say like that yellow there but it'll, yeah and then i'll realize oh yeah it's because there's yellow in there um, I don't deliberately try to make them connect, I don't think, um, not at the moment. I'm sort of in a phase where I'm just kind of trying a few different things and making a few different series at the same time. And mm. just, um, but yeah, there's definitely, definitely things cross over. You can't really help it when you're looking, you're looking at things all day. Yeah, day kind of definitely,
0: definitely. Most challenged, the way you make your work now or any you've just been like, I fucking hate this painting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, So there's one painting um, which is at uh, Gallerie Ditko in Paris, um, and that show's going to be opening in December. Um, And I worked on it for like a really long time. Um, It's called um, Self-Portrait with Bronzino Heads. And that actually started as an acrylic painting. Um, It had three kind of reclining nudes, um, in different sizes and it was it was interesting and I liked it and the colors were really fresh and I think you actually came into the studio when I was making that first yeah. um, version but like I was saying before it, it didn't it didn't have the weight or it wasn't substantial enough mm. it wasn't I don't know it wasn't doing um something so even though I even though I liked it as an image I um I eventually I, I just got rid of it and I completely blanked it out with oils and then I started again and I painted the same thing again <laughs> but again I didn't like it and mm. the, well the composition I don't know I, I, I changed the composition I ended up getting rid of all of the um, nudes um, entirely and uh, then I painted this kind of weird uh, lumpy figure that was in these ones um, along the bottom um, which is kind of a self-portrait it's not very flattering but um, and then yeah these kind of floating heads emerged down one side and a lot of it was a lot of that painting was just formed from erasure yeah um and different and color um and then yeah so I, I could never repeat that painting so it was, it was quite frustrating but it's turned out to be one of my favorite works I've made yeah
0: so. do you think the process and the frustration with it has made it you more attached to it yeah potentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the and love-hate the hate it, relationship of weeks the fact
1: that I know that I can't uh, replicate it
0: yeah mm. do you ever how do you find it when you are when you say, like, you can't replicate it, do you ever try and it's just not the same? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, So <laughs> I guess...
1: I think sometimes I can, if I make the same painting the same way at the exact same time mm. and work on multiple versions, although they'll always, they'll always be slightly different. Like, I managed the three of the, of the um, Pain and Pleasure paintings, although yeah. they're all a bit different. They are very similar. They're definitely a series. If it's made at a different time, mm. then no I, no, I can't. I can never get
0: to what I've done before. Yeah. And then so when you're at City Guilds you ran a magazine called Assemblage. What mm-hmm. what was it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Assemblage, um, it's a print and online um magazine and social media platform um for emerging artists that um me and Megan Elliot run. Um, yeah, we set it up when we were at City Guilds, um, one of the reasons was because we were both kind of keen writers and we wanted somewhere to sort of publish our own writing. Yeah. Then also we thought, well, if that's something we're interested in, then maybe a lot of other artists like, might like a space um, where they can explore their own writing or, you know, interview other artists and things like that. Um, and, yeah, so we, we kind of just wanted to see, this, see a magazine that was made. It's by artists and for artists. So mm. There's no kind of commercial element to it. And then... Yeah, and then we have this sort of social media, and we, um, we try and help artists sort, sort of get more exposure for their work through Instagram takeovers yeah. and things like
0: that. And then, who's been your favourite person to interview for the magazine? Because you've interviewed some amazing people.
1: Yeah, um, I haven't done any recently, um. Yeah, I think probably my favourite interview is the first interview I did, um, which was with um Gordon Chung. Um, he's kind of works with themes of sort of capitalism and corruption and he uses sort of the Financial Times stock reports in his work mm. and he makes beautiful, really beautiful work and um, yeah, I went to his studio in Bermondsey um, and it was my first interview so yeah, I was quite nervous and I think some of the questions I'd asked I prepared were quite um, hard-hitting and a bit controversial but um, <laughs> he took it really well and we, we kind of, we talked for like a couple of hours and yeah, it was a really fun experience and, and I think it actually... It turned out to be probably what the best interview I've done. So far. yeah, it's was, it was quite long, but it was just yeah, it was quite interesting. We got quite deep into a lot of
0: different subjects. Mm. How did you find running, a running the magazine alongside your practice?
1: At art school, um, it, I don't know. It it seemed easier in a way. I think it was because me and Megan were both there together, yeah. and we would you know we could have regular meetings, and it kind of just fit in. But and I and I it takes a lot of time though and then kind of the longer it went on the more
0: time it takes
1: and it's a bit more challenging I think now that we're me and Megan are kind of in separate areas of London and I'm devoting a lot more time to my studio practice but yeah it's kind of difficult to split the admin kind of side and the creative
0: side yeah yeah because you also let other artists write on it didn't you yeah so
1: everybody um Anyone can write for it. Me and Megan do all the sort of editing and formatting the website yeah. and things like that. So, yeah. So, the content isn't all just me and Megan writing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Your opinions on the art world. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think was the biggest thing you learned from running it?
1: Um, I think that actually the biggest thing I learned was that um, I want to spend all my time in my studio painting and not running a, a magazine. Yeah. Um, as much as I kind of it's a great project and as much as I love doing it um the creative side anyway but the administrative side is quite a is quite a burden as, as I'm sure you're yeah. aware of with the, with the artist's contemporary um and I think there's just there's just so much at the moment that I want to do in the studio so um assemblage has been taking a bit of a back seat recently but we we don't have any we we'll, we'll we plan to continue the platform so at some point in the future I'll, yeah I'll kind of Find some more
0: space for it again. Definitely. I think that's the thing, it's the balance. I find at the moment my balance between doing my own practice, us contemporary curating and stuff is working, but I still have, I put off my admin days. <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. Like most of Kim will be like, Are you in today? I'm like, No, I'm at home doing admin. I'll yeah. do like three emails and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> and that's what I think that's what I need to get better at is doing the admin and sitting down and getting it done. But I'm so bad in the sense I'll just be like, oh no, I'll just finish this painting and then I will do admin and then. Yeah. Well,
1: I would say always the painting is put, put the painting first. Yeah, painting's, <laughs>
0: paintings always first. But and I I think I'm fine in the sense like with after hours, I knew I'd finished my paintings for the exhibition and I knew. I think when there's a deadline, I'm, I'm a lot mm. better because I know I have to get it done and mm. I, I just have to be organized yeah. and contact everyone. Where when it's just like, Small things. I'm like, but I'll get there. It's fine. It does get done. I'm
1: always impressed by how much,
0: how much you're getting done. It's yeah. We'll see. But I'm quite. I feel like because next year I'm going back into sitting gill so I kind of know I've got this year to kind of try and get the artist contemporary going Mm -hmm. as much as possible, and then when I'm back in the kind of more structured art school environment it's easier to structure your time and find space to and time to get things done maybe you can get an assistant yeah (laughs) you need to make some money first (laughs) um and then who to finish off who within the contemporary arts do you want to give a shout out to and why
1: um so i would like to give a shout out to a london-based painter called sarah lederman um her instagram is at sarah underscore lederman that's l-e-d-e-r-m-a-n um she makes these kind of beautifully um, luminous kind of paintings and the surfaces. I don't know how she does it, but she just kind of, she just uses the paint in oil paint, it is in a really interesting way. And her work's really layered and she kind of then makes these kind of really idiosyncratic drawings of figures or birds and things and crayons and pencil on top. Um, and I've never ever seen a work of hers that I haven't loved, so mm. Sarah Lederman.
0: We will tag her on the art yeah. Contemporary. And what other projects do you have? And you mentioned your Paris exhibition, but is there anything else coming up that you want to mention?
1: No. Well, yeah, so the Paris show with Gallery Ditko opens on the 5th of December, hopefully in real life, if not yeah. online. And that's on until February, um, after hours, again. After hours, of course. February. <laughs> I've got a few works online um, at the moment with the Violet Hour. And, yeah, that's it at the moment. Um, Are you doing tub? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah,
0: The Life on Venus which is curated which... by a new the new project space tub in Hackney which is run by three sitting gills graduates plus another artist who I can't remember her name. I'm really sorry. <laughs> um and Life on Venus is it's all female artists.
1: Female identifying artists.
0: Yeah, work, works on paper. Um and it was actually I think it was the idea came from freya moffat who mm-hmm. is one of the artists involved and they're curating it i think it's opening in december hopefully yeah and
1: it's a live auction i think of the works in the show with the auction collective yeah so that's interesting i've I, you know yeah we had to we registered on the auction collective.
0: i need to do so that
1: i'm quite yeah i'm quite excited to see how that works because that'll be my first auction scenario so yeah that that's all and then to be honest i'm just gonna i really want to just take some time with no shows and just really focus on building a new body
0: of work yeah yeah definitely amazing well thank you so much for coming on the artist contemporary podcast (laughs) Bye. bye thank you so much for listening to the artist contemporary podcast remember to check out the artist contemporary instagram and to subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all the episodes artists and exhibitions that are posted on the platform